bass, when that bass crashes in, you know it's time to begin, and wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you're one of our geeks and sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run, maybe you're in traffic, maybe you're doing chores, whatever it is, fear not, we are going to be in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes with gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be and that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week blue apron and squarespace squarespace they bring the show to you dlc of course the show all about games and there are many forms games played on desktops laptops and consoles and also games that involve dice luck and cardboard i'm your host jeff canada that's spelled with two n's and one t and i'm joined as always by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis the guy who somehow made it through another nba draft without landing on a team mr christian spicer hello christian hello jeff hello everybody quickly up top i wanted to say uh by the time you listen to this on monday we're recording it sunday night but on monday it should be out if you go over to cottonbureau.com I have a shirt out where the proceeds, if we sell 12 and recoup costs, the proceeds then after that go to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And it is designed by JP, who did a bunch of um, We Have Concerns t-shirts over the years. That's right. And imagine like those old Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles ice cream pops with the bubble gum for the eyes. And then imagine like a Super NES controller version of that. That's the shirt. I'll have a link to it pinned on top of my Twitter and also on my website, christianspicer.com. But if you head over to the Cotton Bureau, Monday, it should be up. Proceeds are going to St. Jude. And I think it is just an incredible, incredible shirt. The perfect shirt for summer. So hop on it. Let's get cool shirts and save kids. Yeah, I've seen the design. Uh, JP is a professional shirt designer. He's awesome. I concur that this is the perfect shirt for summer. It's really, really slick. It's a it's a cool, hip video game design that uh, that, as Christian said, actually all the proceeds are going to uh, to to kids that need it. So there's no downside here. You guys should go check it out. It's Christian. It's just Cotton Bureau. There's no like specific place you just go there. Yeah, if you go to Cotton Bureau, you should be able to find it. I don't have the active link to give out as it's Sunday night and the link's not live until <laughs> until Monday. But I'll have it pinned on top of my Twitter and you can find it on my website as well, christianspicer.com once it goes well, live. Well, you guys should check this out because the shirts, uh, the, the design is super hip and super cool. and I think you'll dig it. All right, guys, we got lots to talk about. The news has been popping. The games are coming out. There's no E3 lull. We're, we got lots to talk about and we have a great guest to do it with. You know, the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh man, I'm excited because DLC stands for dialect that lends charm because we've got our favorite British voice in gaming back with us. You know him from one of yours podcasts back in the day and basically every gaming publication ever. Um, one of our favorite people, our friend, Mr. John Davison, is back with us. Hey, John. How long were you going up with? I can't even remember what it was. Dialect what? Dialect that lends charm. Oh, Doesn't you. it lend charm when you – just just having you. you here lends us charm. We appreciate it. Pour on the accent terribly thick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Hello and welcome to the show. <laughs> um we're excited. John, it's been too long since you've been on, and uh, we got a lot to, to dig into with uh, news that's been happening, and let's just get right into it with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. 
Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by posting them on our subreddit, which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Interesting stuff going down this week. I I don't even know where to start. John, you are our guest, so you get first Mm -hmm. pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Um, let's talk about PUBG. There's lots of stuff going on with PUBG. Indeed, indeed. Um, um go ahead. Good, good stuff and bad. Why? Don't, so I know you'd summarized it. So I'm gonna let you kind of set it up, and then because I think there's lots of different directions that the conversation about PUBG this week can go. Indeed, um, certainly PUBG launched their much anticipated uh, sort of battle pass system. We could talk about that. Uh, I find it very fascinating that we got news, at least on Steam, PUBG's top concurrent peak users is down 50% from its high point uh, last January. In January, PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds peaked with over 3.2 million concurrent players on Steam. It's a pretty huge number. So 50% of that, still a big number. 1.7 million is what we're peaking at now. But it certainly shows a precipitous decline. And of course, you could point to Fortnite as being the usurper there and the the reason that that fewer people are playing it. But uh, a lot of energy around that, as you said, there's positive and negative because uh, this new battle pass has released and includes a lot of stuff that people Event have been... Event pass, Jeff. Totally different than battle oh, pass. Totally Sorry. Different. Why would I... Like it. How could I confuse those things? They <laughs> they are completely... Um, so I, have a, I, have another, I have another angle on this. Okay. Another observation that some people may not like. So... It's down 50% basically on the year, mm-hmm. but at the same time, they hit 400 million players this, like this past week or the last, and basically, yeah, it was this week. Yeah. They announced they'd hit 400 million players. So they also announced that 227 million people log in monthly. So their MAU number is 227 million. Uh, but 50 million copies sold on PC and Xbox One. So, I hate to tell everyone, PUBG's a mobile game. Yeah. Yeah. If that, yeah. If you do the math, it, it has to be, right? That's where they have, I mean, 50 million in sales on PC and Xbox One is nothing to, you know, shy away from. That's a, that's a pretty but big number. Another 350 million copies <laughs> of this thing. Crazy. That were, that were free. Yeah. Um, but that's where people are playing it. Yeah. Well, it's like, uh, you know, at, at E3, we saw, um, uh, at the Bethesda conference, Todd Howard mentioned that, um, you know, the free Fallout Shelter mobile game, more people have played that game than all of their games combined. So yeah. as much as we talk about how, you know, the consoles are doing great, PCs doing great, people play a lot of mobile games. Well, I think people, people do play, but I'd also add the caveat of people try a lot of mobile games, especially when they're free. I'm curious, and I don't know if they have... I, 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 this stuff, yeah, I love the data, right? Once you start digging in, I just want all of it. I get very greedy. Like, I'm curious, how long are people playing on each version? Like, does PC have the longest average play time? Is it Xbox? Is it mobile? Like, I own it. I have all three I own the mobile version, but I bought the Xbox version. I have the PC version. Um, I downloaded it on mobile. I got real excited. Jeff, you were there. As I got my first game, I got I got second place, and I was like, "That was heart pounding." And then I found out it was like all bots, <laughs> still heart pounding. So basically, one bot still better than you. 
<laughs> that last one was totally a real player, dude. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's fascinating, right, John? Like, do you think that this game has the same hours logged mobile, or do you think everybody plays it because it's the hotness? Now it's free on mobile. Gonna try it. I think PUBG is well. PUBG and Fortnite are both in the are playing in the same world right now, right? Which is that you pick a game that you play as much as you possibly can because it's your chosen thing that you want to spend your time on. So both PUBG Corp and Epic have done a great job of making it so that you can play on your account nearly everywhere. <laughs> in right. PUBG's case, you can't play it on PlayStation yet. Uh, and in Fortnite, you've, well, there's still the PlayStation problem there as well, but it's different. But it's, it's the, I think the, the, the motivation is slightly different on each one. I think the, the PC version and there's, you know, well, between that and Xbox, it's still 50 million, which is massive. But that's the premium sit down. I'm going to spend a bunch of time playing this thing experience. And then I would imagine, I have no data to back this up, but but on mobile, it's um, I have 15 minutes right now. This yeah. is what I'm going to do. Right. Um, right. Also, totally. I think a big part of that 350 million is definitely not U.S., Ha. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's probably true. Yeah. And and that shows how, how these games are being marketed and who they're, you know, who these companies have to be thinking about is not just US players. I have a slightly different question for you, John. I'm curious what your perspective is on this. 50% decline year over year. Do you think that's just the beginning? Do you think we're still they're still sliding or do you think that I mean cuz there's a lot of games that would be very happy with 1.7 million yeah. concurrence. That's not a, you know, that's not a failure by any, any stretch, but do you think this is, this is it sort of still sliding into a less and less player base? Well, I think there's two, I mean, there's, there's two things in play, right? One is Fortnite. And I think Fortnite definitely stole audience from PUBG because it's not a sort of infinitely scalable number of people that want to play that kind of game. I do think some of PUBG's, Steam audience moved to probably, you know, they're spending some of their time on on mobile, particularly those that aren't playing in the US. I think that was a contributing factor. I think, I don't think it's going to be as precipitous a decline, Mm -hmm. but I do think that just looking at the Steam data is not an accurate measure of the popularity of PUBG. Right. I think it's just, it's what we as US-centric games players look at as a barometer it's right. not how the rest of the world looks at video games anymore so you don't think anybody you know at uh at, at PUBG is panicking you think that they're they they i mean that's a pretty still a huge success um they're only panicking if people aren't buying their event pass or buying you right. know, microtransactions right i mean the 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 transition has to be how do we turn this thing from a game that you drop how much was PUBG? Is it 30? 30, bucks? yeah. 30, 30 yeah. Bucks. But it's on sale right now, right? Which yeah, is, first time ever. Taking as, oh my God, they're panicking because their numbers dropped. Well, I mean, that's probably they're trying to push, but I think they're also motivated right now to a bunch, you know, they've got this, they've got this like pool of 350 million people that maybe haven't played it on PC that they need to market to as well. Mm-hmm. So make it cheap so that it's more attractive. Christian, you're the one of my friends I know who've, who's played this game the most. What's your feeling about the event pass? Do you think it is uh, well done? Are you are you happy to see it? I know you've sort of moved over to Fortnite pretty pretty much, but what do you think about this? The way they're rolling it out. 
I like the idea of event passes. Uh, Rocket Leagues, I think there's is the Rocket Pass. A lot of games are kind of implementing this. And I like it for this type of, you know, infinitely replayable game. I think MOBAs could look to something like this too, um, in the sense that I like when a game, it, it gives you a reason to log in every day, right? Like the Battle Pass, Event Pass, whatever you want to call it. It's games have been doing it forever and it's the daily challenge or the, the weekly, the reason to check in, the reason to load the game and play the game. Well, before we get a bunch of angry emails, I think a lot of MOBAs do do this, but good. Yes, go yes, yeah. they do. I, I, sorry. Yes, correct. Um, I think what Epic has done smartly and what, um, PUBG is trying to do is this, <laughs> the monetization of it, wrapping it as one thing where you're constantly seeing progression bars move because I will throw myself into this bucket. Gamers like myself, we like seeing that. Even if it doesn't change the game in any appreciable way, you, it's like this feeling of progress. Like, oh, I didn't get a victory royale today. I didn't get a chicken dinner. But, oh, yes, I got 10 shotgun kills. Sweet. <laughs> you right. know, like it was worth it. And I'm not sure how the the MOBA package of them how, how they package that kind of stuff. But I think this pass check-in system, bundling all of that together as one thing is really smart because it seems in the season approach to it, it seems timed. It doesn't seem like that much money. You know what you're getting into. And then the other thing that they're all doing is you don't need to pay up front to start unlocking this stuff. So I, if I happen to play tons of uh, Fortnite you know, this season and I realized, oh crap, I unlocked this awesome skin. I did all this stuff. I can click purchase right then and do it. And I think seeing PUBG emulating that is smart. However, PUBG is kind of coming under fire for their rent to own or free and premium, but even the premium pass, you maybe don't get to keep everything. I feel like PUBG is having a hard time messaging exactly what their pass is and why it's something you should buy into right now, whereas Fortnite and Rocket Leagues, which isn't out yet, I feel like is doing a better job at that. That's my concern for PUBG right now. It's interesting. It's it's, it's certainly a space that is has all the energy right now, and uh, it's fascinating to see the big moves because um, there's a lot of content dropping, and there's a lot. It, you know, it feels like Fortnite is moving toward a, a really interesting narrative place. There's a lot of cool stuff happening with all of these games, and certainly a lot of people playing them. So, and also, an Battlefield and Battlefield and Call of Duty are knocking. You know, if right, PUBG's player base is down already, and Call of Duty doesn't necessarily always have the hugest player base on PC, but this year they're rolling it in with Battle.net. And if their version of the Battle Royale mode is able to come out somewhere around time when the game comes out and is fun, you know, that's that's a real threat. For Call sure. of Duty is still a big, big game. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Christian, what is your story of the week? So I used to do this thing called practice law, um, and I love the law so much, especially when I'm not practicing it. <laughs> and uh, did you guys see this thing about Bethesda, who is very litigious, by the way? Super litigious. <laughs> they like Don't it to sue. sue anybody. <laughs> Don't say that, John. I think you just got sued. Um, <laughs> oh, wait. Hang on. There's a guy here with an envelope. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. Don't. Crank collar. Crank collar. Is it a big envelope? It might be from North Korea. Um, Bethesda is now suing Warner Brothers over Fallout Shelter because of Fallout Shelter. Remember when Warner Brothers released that Westworld game and we were like, oh, sweet. It looks like Fallout Shelter. Yeah. 
Apparently, it's Fallout Shelter. <laughs> well, beha- Behavior Interactive, or the studio, actually apparently helped work on Fallout Shelter. Yeah, I guess one of the developers of Fallout Shelter moved over to make this game. It, it plays yep. this very similarly. But the best part, in my opinion, and I know, Christian, you were about to get to this, is is the, the biggest smoking gun for this being a, a, a complete ripoff of code is that it has the same bugs that an early version of Fallout Shelter had. So, like, about the time the guy left to go work at the new place, there was a bunch of bugs in the game, and that code, those bugs are in this game. It's eh, it's pretty bad. That looks pretty bad. It's super common old-school copyright protection for proving this stuff, where way back in the day, dictionaries would purposefully put typos in things or define things wrong or key maps would put a place that doesn't exist on it because everybody was poaching everybody else's data. Because why go out and do your own map or pay to license McNulty or whatever those actual maps were called before it was all Google. Um, Oh man, Rand McNally. That's what I was looking for. Uh, There'd be purposeful errors in that. So someone would steal it and copy it and be like, we didn't copy you. It's like, really? Then why is Buttface's house in here? You know, this is going to sound weird and it's totally going to date me, but I'm going to say this reference anyway. Uh, This reminds me of, I played Leisure Suit Larry as a kid and Sierra Games used to to sell um, hint books that would like step you through the game. And there was a section in Leisure Suit Larry that if you did the exact steps that the hint book said it would it would say get your face out of that hint book and try to play the game because you know it knew that you did that those exact steps it reminds me of the same thing of like we know that you know that we know that you know and so uh we got you we caught you yeah i love it yeah that's great. I love the story. Of course, you know, lawsuits take a while to resolve. I, I have a feeling this might settle. Um, I also, I feel bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel bad for this dev. I mean, that's my question to you, John, with this. When, like, if a, if this happens and it looks like this company did it, again, alleged, it's alleged, but, like, what kind of how, – how does that tarnish this company's reputation? Do you think anyone cares or does some mobile company hire them again for the next game because who cares? I don't know. I don't know much about them to be honest, but I mean, I mean, I've been playing Westworld. <laughs> um, it's actually pretty good. You were talking about gray bars and like enjoying watching bars filling up. This is like the ultimate game for that kind of thing because it's it and it it's got a bit more to it than Fallout Shelter, but there is hmm. it it's very very similar. Um I would imagine um, that, uh, you know, I mean, anything could happen, right? The studio may end up being called something else. It may get acquired and absorbed into some collective so that people, you know, forget all about it. Um, I would imagine in the immediate future, it will be difficult for them to get a gig with anyone other than Warner Brothers. And Warner Brothers are also probably having some uncomfortable meetings with them right now. Yeah. 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 It's interesting, too, that this was reported in TMZ. I mean, that's where we are with video games, I guess. Uh, well, but... it's Westworld, right? I mean, it's yeah. Westworld right as the finale is upon us. They, I mean, the timing of the game... I mean, the game came out this week. It came out on Tuesday or Wednesday this week. Um, so that, you know, it, it, it was building on the, the climax of the show. And then, you you know, you're supposed to play it in between this and whenever they get around to doing season three. Right. Um, I mean, it, it, it was... It was, I mean, TMZ, honestly, are starting to pay a lot more attention to video games because video games are getting a lot more <coughs> pop culture, right? I mean, you've got mm-hmm. right now, you look, think of all the sort of zeitgeisty stuff we've got going on right now. We have games around big properties like Westworld. We have 
um, lots of Hollywood crossovers and stuff around Netflix and stuff around, you know, sort of shows that people feel very passionately about. And then you've got Fortnite, which is everywhere. You know, you've got guys in the, in the draft wearing Fortnite linings in their suits when they go up, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, love you, mom. Love you, dad. It was Fortnite. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's pop culture, baby. I love it. Mainstream. Um, for my story of the week, I think I want to talk about Crackdown. Uh, we got news this week that uh, Dave Jones, who was one of the original creators of Crackdown, who was uh, much touted as returning to the series to work on Crackdown 3 when the game was originally announced back in 2014, no longer going to be on the game. Uh, this because his his company, Cloud Genie, again... Fortnite isn't everything. Fortnite in all the stories this week. Uh, Fortnite has acquired Cloud Genie and uh, brought over uh, Dave Jones to work on Fortnite. So he is no longer associated with Crackdown. Won't be working on Crackdown 3. Crackdown 3 probably won't even be using the tech that Cloud Genie was bringing to the game, which, again, back in 2014 was like their big banner feature which was going to be calculating all of the complex stuff that you need to do to make destructible environments in the cloud cloud genie was going to provide the tech to do all of that stuff in the cloud and then uh the game was going to be able to be more complex and have destructible environments well a we haven't seen destructible environments in the game in quite a while and b cloud genie no longer involved Dave Jones no longer involved uh, over there working at Epic on Fortnite. Uh, all of this confirmed by Matt Booty, who is the Microsoft Studios head. And I think it, it doesn't sound like very good news for Crackdown 3. Crackdown 3, of course, was at E3-ish. You know, they showed a new trailer. Um, the game's never shipping. You think? You think it's Vaporware completely? I played it, I think, last year. Yeah. At E3 last year, it was one of the games in Microsoft's like weird little warren of rooms that they took you back into, and you weren't allowed to touch it because it wasn't anywhere close to being ready, and it didn't look great. Right. Um, Still doesn't look great. Uh, isn't it? I think it's Cloud Gin, I think. Is it? I thought it was Cloud, it Cloud Genie. It's a Cloud Gin, like an engine in the cloud. Oh, well, the, boy. I feel like a dope. <laughs> but I mean, it doesn't matter because uh, honestly, Gene. Epic buying something like that to fold into Unreal <laughs> makes a ton of sense, really. I mean, like you know, for something that can do all the logic on a massive world in an engine that I mean, they're going toe to toe with Unity and trying to get people to develop, and Unity has mobile locked up, so you know they're pushing on you know big, high-powered games that you know need either good local power like you know awesome graphics cards or they need to tap into the cloud stuff because everyone now is talking about future of games is you're going to be streaming if not the whole thing then chunks of games from the cloud i think it makes sense that epic would want to roll that in um crackdown just seemed like a solution in search of a problem to me like yeah Crackdown 1 was amazing, but it was of its time, right? It was it was this fantastic thing on the platform that it came out on, and we were all and it, and it 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 had a lot of cred with gamers, but it didn't break out of that. I don't think it was a particularly big game, and the fact that they did a sequel was sort of surprising when you look at it just from 
how how many copies it sold. And then the second one was garbage. I mean, it was it awful. really was bad. Yeah, they added zombies they for some stupid reason. Yeah, they added zombies, which was just ridiculous, and it didn't have that sort of like the first one was funny and it had that you know that sort of super melodramatic like you know you know mid mid 20th century radio guy doing the voiceover and everything and it had this it was a there was a vision to it that yeah that clicked and it was the comic book looks and the sort of just insane stuff that it had you do and it was doing an open world game with lots of collectibles uh before Ubisoft had done that to death, right? And I mean, we that's, were... That's the key point. I think that's the key point. It was it was novel because nobody had ever really had a city that size with that kind of verticality and right. all of the fun stuff to discover. And now that's no longer novel. Right. So they're, they're trying to recapture this form of glory, but by just doing it again, it's sort of like, well, that was... You, that was just 10 years ago. Like, you yeah. know, it was sort of like, what are you doing? Like, what's the, what's the hook? And when they showed it last year, I think it was clear that they didn't really have a hook. It was just like, it's cracked down again. Yeah. Yeah. We took um, the zombies out. Aren't you guys yeah. excited? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And honestly, I'm not surprised that, that he left <laughs> because right. he was probably looking at it and being like, guys, what are we making? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. He, you know, he, uh, I can't blame him. I, I'm, I was a fan of the first crackdown. And if I had a chance to sort of design a new crack, a crackdown three, I think I would lean into the sort of uh, three-dimensional puzzle of everything and oh, yeah. really lean into the collectibles and the, uh, the hidden stuff and just move away from the all, what had always been very subpar gunplay anyway. And, yeah. you know, I mean, it feels like this new trailer at E3 was really reinforcing how everything was going to explode and there's big guns and it's all, you know, shooty, shooty, shoot, which I get it. That's, you know, trailers at E3, but... I feel like the series was never strong there. Taking down the bosses was never the strongest, even in the first and the game. characters weren't even the essence. Of, I mean, like, right. you could make your guy, like, all shoulders and chest. And, yeah, sure, your guy could look like Terry Crews, but that wasn't that right. wasn't why you were playing it. It was just one of the goofy things that would happen if you happened to develop your character in that direction. But that game was all about working, like, getting enough, like power-ups and mo- I can't remember what the systems were, but basically you could get powerful enough that you could climb all the way to the top of the tower in the middle of the map right? and jump off it. Yeah, and, and it was amazing. Yeah, And you could actually guide your way down and collect those green orb things and then land in basically a puddle at the bottom and walk away unscathed. It yeah. was like weird shit like that that was just... It was really satisfying, and it was... I mean, this is how long ago it was. I was still on one-up at the time. So I can remember <laughs> it was me and Luke Smith and Shay Chow were playing it. And every day we would come into the office and talk about how many of those orbs we'd got now and right. how we managed to retrieve one from this, like, just seemingly impossible location. And that was that was the hook. It was, this is how what I did to be able to traverse the map better than you can. And I wish that they would, I wish that that would be the, what the game was now, you know, because ostensibly also in, in the first crackdown, while you were doing all that stuff, you were like taking down five or six of these big bosses and you would go into their lair and you could do them in any order and it was a whole thing. But no one cared about that. As you said, no one cared yeah. about that because it was super fun to collect the orbs and the orbs, you know, the more orbs you got, the better you were at doing things that let you get more orbs. And I feel like that gameplay loop could still work now and could be really fun and it could be a huge puzzle element of it. And it just seems like this thing 
is going the complete wrong direction. And all of the animation looks super janky and odd. I don't know. Christian, do you want to weigh in on this? I think it's going to come out. I don't think it's going to be great, but I think it will do okay numbers for them. I think it will work well as another Game Pass advertisement. Like, I think State of Decay 2 was top of NPDs this past um, tracking cycle. So it's like these games come out that don't review super well or get tons of buzz, but millions of people played Sea of Thieves. Millions of people played State of Decay 2, and I think Crackdown 3 will be the same thing. I don't think it'll necessarily have the lasting power, but I, I think it's coming. I think it's coming. I just don't expect it to be, to blow I me away shocked. when it gets here. I mean, I, I mean, this is just gauging it from, I mean, mainly Twitter. But I was really surprised at the there is a core audience for State of Decay that I didn't know existed. Yeah, yeah there are some people that feel very strongly about that game. That's for sure. Yeah, I've I've said negative things about that game too because it just doesn't look like my jam at all. And I, I get a lot of pushback. People are really into that series and we're super excited that the developer got picked up by Microsoft as a first party. So, yeah, yeah. I, it surprises me as well. <laughs> um, there's one other story I wanted to talk about, especially because, John, you're here. And I know you have such interesting take on this. And you're always so good at uh, kind of taking the temperature of the industry as a whole. Uh, we, we got word this week that PlayStation Now is going to get a download feature, sort of like what Microsoft is already doing with Game Pass on Xbox. PlayStation Now, of course, is the streaming service that streams PlayStation 2, 3, and 4 games onto your PlayStation 4. Um, but now it will, it's sort of like what Netflix and Amazon have done, where they're streaming services, but with your subscription, you can download some stuff to watch offline, so if you're taking a flight or whatever. PlayStation Now will do that as well. Now you can download, uh, at the moment, it's only PlayStation 4 games. It's not two, PlayStation 2 and 3 games that they also offer streaming. But one assumes that that will be added. Um, so you can download them to your system and play them locally without an internet connection. This, uh, I'm curious what you think, John, as far as where the industry is headed with regard to streaming services. Of course, at E3, we heard Microsoft talk about their streaming services, which is coming EA talked about their streaming service, which is coming. It seems like streaming services are where the industry is wanting to get to, but downloading it to your system is where we are now. So are they sort of straddling the fence on this? Yeah, I think it's a stop. I mean, there's there's a couple things, right? Is that there's going to come a point where your local processing power becomes irrelevant. And But where we are right now is that everything is designed for local processing power, um, you know, and if you've got a PS4 or a PS4 Pro, it, it will, it will, because your internet connection, unless you have Google Fi and you're one, you know, the, what is it, 2% of the country or whatever that has internet that fast, um, it's gonna run better locally. So this is, I think, Sony straddling now and the future and kind of it's a compromise so it's like okay well you you know we want to condition you to get used to the idea of paying as a monthly fee so you can play games and um hey you know it's going to run better if it's local i think the reason that it's um ps4 only right now is actually the way they can uh the way they can download them. So PS4 games are different than PS3 games in that um, they can execute while they're still downloading. Mm. 
Um, kind of the way that, you know, you can start playing a Blizzard game now uh, what, and when it isn't fully installed because of the way that it's structured and the way that it's built is that you can you can start downloading it in the background and as soon as it's executable, it'll tell you. Right. And you I think can it, jump in. And, I think it also has something to do with the fact that, that like, they're not emulating the PS2 and PS3 yeah. games. They're, like, literally streaming them because they've got the hardware for those things in the cloud and you're just playing it natively and then streaming it to you. So there there isn't an emulation solution in place on the PlayStation 4. So if you download it, it's like, well, we got no way to actually do that. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's really about the fact that um, I think we, we go through these this sort of race between processing power and internet bandwidth. And we went through a period where the, the sort of your computer or your console was more powerful and your internet wasn't fast enough. Right. And internet caught up. And now we're at a point again where for the next generation of games, um, they know where the hardware's got to go, right? I mean, they're they're clearly already talking to studios about what the approximate spec that they want, the sort of target spec or whatever they call it, because we know Bethesda are working to it. We know, you know, that a number of studios are working with this. It sounds like Halo is actually being designed for whatever the next Xbox is. Um, but it's, you know, these things are going to be giant. So, you know, you know, if you think right now a really solid good looking game is a what 45 50 gigabyte download yeah if not more if not more and if we're talking about new games at the scale of skyrim or bigger at 4k hdr native the art alone is a massive amount of data i mean we're looking at 100 200 gigabyte games next generation yeah and just finding a way to distribute that is difficult. Yeah. There's no longer a physical media that can do it. So we, we've outgrown physical media that makes any sense, really. Um, downloads, unless you've got an incredibly fast connection, downloading basically a quarter of a terabyte for a massive game is just ridiculous. That's that's more than Comcast allows me uh, <laughs> in a month. <laughs> that's a crazy good point. I, I've never thought about it that way. In the sense that they, streaming is is almost a necessity. It's yeah. not even it's not even uh, a, a, about convenience or. I mean, they, I'm sure they like the idea of the monthly fee, but it's almost a necessity at, at, at the scale of these games for for a lot of people. In the sense that you can, you know you can Netflix it to you, just send you the the the, the frames. Uh, rather than <laughs> sending you all the assets, that's that's wild. Yeah, that's wild. Think about you know the, the next generation is going to be you know it's going to be a massive bump up in the fidelity of the visuals because that's just what it is. I think along with that we're going to get whatever the next generation of sound design is, potentially maybe VR and AR support, but that sounds like that's going away. Microsoft have said that they're not supporting VR on Xbox anymore. John, um, John, 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 shut up. No one's told friend. Jeff yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. No, 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 that's not happening. No, no, nothing, everything. Wait, what, guys? Fine. What? Nothing, Jeff, everything's nothing. Fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> nothing, Jeff. The rest of the world is on fire, but VR is still number one, baby. Oh, good. Okay, <laughs> at least yeah, I can go to sleep. But then if you think about it as well, you've got things like AI and, you know, and, and a lot of the processing stuff and that, that code's going to get bigger. So just like the enormity of what it takes to make a game work is just gigantic. So, you know, having a lot of it running on a server that you plug into and suck out the piece that you need at any given moment is way more efficient. I think Microsoft was saying that for their next generation, their games will be, Xbox 
and then for, they're going to make it so that anyone can play their games. So they'll run locally on an Xbox, but for everyone, they can stream it. I think that's going to evolve between now and when that box ships. And it's going to be your Xbox will execute bits of code, but probably not the entire game ever. Hmm. Wow. I mean, I think it'll, yeah. it'll download pieces and run it. But I think we're fast approaching the time where you don't need to have the entire game locally ever. And I think they wanted to go there this gen and that blowback that they got about needing an always on connection to play your games derailed that. But I mean, even with what we were talking about with Crackdown 3 and having that stuff calculated in the cloud, they they were kind of moving that way and it just, it just. <laughs> Didn't happen at the at the rate that they wanted to, but I think next gen, boy, that sure sounds right to me. And I think this ha- this has happened a lot in the past as well, right? And that the promise of the current generation actually ends up coming in the next generation. Yeah. I remember PS2? It was I remember Phil Harrison talking on PS2 that games were going to be episodic and they were going to be downloadable pieces, and we never really got that on PS2, but is we got it on PS3. Right. And Why I was think- that soccer guy talking about PlayStation? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Um, all right. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about some of the stuff we've been playing, but first I want to thank our sponsor Squarespace talking about stuff online and in the cloud and this digital connected world we are in. It's going to be the, uh, just a fact that you're going to need a website. If you don't need one now, you're going to need a website and you can make your own. You can create your own website so easily using the tools provided by Squarespace. Squarespace. It's something that I have used uh, for a long, long time, many years now. JeffCanada.com was built and housed on Squarespace. And it's something I recommend to, to all my friends and family when they inevitably come to the time when they need a website because you don't have to be a coder. You don't have to hire someone who costs a fortune to build a website for you. You can make something that looks great and is very functional and is easy to use. Easy, easy, easy. You don't have any headaches worrying about it. Because Squarespace handles it for you. If you want to showcase your work or blog or publish content or maybe sell products and services, maybe promote a physical or online business, even just announcing an upcoming event or a special project, great to have a website, great to build it with Squarespace. What you do is you start with a beautiful template. They have many, many of them that were created by world-class designers. And then you just start modifying it. It's so easy. You just drag and drop stuff. It's all what you see is what you get. Very easy to edit and create something that looks beautiful and looks all your own. They have powerful e-commerce functionality that you drag and drop in uh, a storefront if you want to sell something. It's so easy. They have built-in search engine optimization. They have built-in analytics. They have free and secure hosting. And there's nothing ever that you need to upgrade or patch. It's all handled behind the scenes for you automatically. Plus they've got 24 seven award-winning customer support in case you run into any problems. It's great. It's all optimized for mobile right out of the box. It's just the best. They're just the best in class at creating and housing your website. Make it yourself, make it yourself. Head to squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me, and then use the promo code. You get a free trial when you go to squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me, get a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, you can use our promo code Jeff sent me, which is all one word, J E F F S E N T M E to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. 
It's great. I love Squarespace. They've supported us for a long, long time. So check them out. Squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me and that promo code Jeff sent me for 10% off. Some games have come out this week and we've been playing a lot of interesting stuff. John, what has made your playlist this week? I mentioned mentioned one earlier, uh, which was Westworld, so I don't really need to talk about that much more. But it is quite good. Yeah? Quite good. Hmm. John says, quite good. There you go. (laughs) Um, uh, The other thing I've been playing is, uh, I don't know if you guys have talked about it before, but I've been playing Battletech. Oh, no, we haven't. Uh, I've been itching to give that a shot. I haven't had a chance to. Uh, Do you like it? So it came out the end of April. It came out the end of April, but um, I, I finally. I, it was one of those things that it was, you know, it, you know. I put it on my wish list and then eventually caved and, but actually played this one. Unlike a lot of the other stuff, um, uh, it's so it's by Hairbrain Schemes, who is a developer that I have a real soft spot for because they made the Shadowrun game that was mm. an early Kickstarter game. Do you remember that? Yes. Um, and the founders of Hairbrained are actually uh, the guys that. Um, created uh, the Battletech franchise at FASA back in the day. Mm. So it has deep roots in the big stomping robots genre. Right. Um, and it's, 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 I mean, it's sort of a throwback in a way. It's turn-based. It's, it's, uh, for an old man like me, it's nicely <laughs> paced. <laughs> it has dinner it's at nice 4.30. And- it's <laughs> at 7. Yeah. It does. It, it takes a nap from time to time. Um, it doesn't like its music too loud. Um, but it's it's uh, it's kind of what I've been looking for in a in a mech game for a long time, and that it's a thoughtful uh, story based, turn based, but it's in three D and it's got a nice sort of story that chugs along the background. It's not a particularly beautiful game. Mm-hmm. I would say it it doesn't look like a game that was released in 2018. I think that's one thing it has against it. Um, but it's not in any way a, a, a bad looking game. Um, I think it just, it just looks a little dated. Um, but I think what it it's it, it's a nice throwback to good solid turn based sci fi strategy gaming, which it, it's not. I find myself kind of putting it on when I'm, you know, when I can't think, like, what am I in the mood for? And I'll put that on while I'm, you know, do I want to go play a game on PS4? Do I want to play an action game? But I'll put this on and end up dropping like two or three hours into it in a session. Yeah, that sounds like something I would be into. I mean, I love turn-based games. I like Battletech games. I mean, is it like, uh, I really don't even know much about it in the sense of, of how uh, wonky it is. I mean, is it, you got to, you know, manage your weight and your systems and there's trade-offs and all that stuff. Is it very uh, spreadsheety like that? No, not particularly. So it's it's a squad based game in in essence. So in in a weird way, it's a little bit. Um, you know, I bet people that like Final Fantasy Tactics would like it. Oh, so now you're <laughs> now you're really talking my language. Or um, oh my god, what was the what was the mech the turn based mech strategy thing on PSP? Uh, front mission. Oh yeah, front mission. Right. A little bit like a little bit like that, but it's but it's I mean it's in a 3D environment and you can move the camera around. But you start the game 
and you know you have a training session but then it's there there are three mechs which are essentially three if you think of it as a uh turn-based strategy rpg you have these three mechs and each one is a different class there's a heavy and there's a scout and then there's your sort of main character who's it who's this dude that's in this sort of all-rounder mech and you're on patrol and all hell breaks loose and you have to get back to the pallet. I don't know if you know much about the Battletech universe, but it's it's this weird kind of mix of um it's it's sort of future sci-fi, but a lot of its politics are very medieval. <laughs> right. Um so it's it's like you know, there's this sort of like whole kind of you know, these these clans warring and people, you know, there's sort of a you know, everything is a is a is a monarchy kind of system and the 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 throne is under threat from this other clan and you have to find your way back to the palace and there's people attacking you. So you're working your way through this sort of, you know, very varied 3D environment with these three mechs and the the, the opposing clans are throwing stuff at you as you get back. I mean, this is just the beginning of the game, but that's the, the structure of it is like a turn-based strategy RPG more than a turn-based war game, if hmm. you know what I mean. Oh, I think I would like this game. I think I would like it. It's like 20 bucks. Yeah, I should just pick it up. It, it sounds really my my jam. I might have to do that. Uh, that's awesome. Um, so it's Battletech. It's just Battletech. There's no subtitle or anything? Yeah. yeah. Battletech. And you're playing it on PC? Yeah. And uh, when you get it on Steam, it runs on Mac too. Nice. Uh, anything I else? Love, oh, sorry. I, was, yeah, I, just, I love games like that, that it's like the game you play – like, oh, I'll just fire this up and then I'll do something else. And then you're like, oh, no, it's been four hours. This, this is <laughs> yeah. what I did. But yeah. you never purposefully sit down to play it. But it's still yeah. like you'll, you'll check your Steam hours and it's like 400 hours. Holy <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, anything else or is that, uh, is that your main? That's been my main. That and there's this little game. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Fortnite. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm playing some of that. Yeah. It's quite good. I, I'm surprised people aren't talking about it more. Are your sons super into Fortnite? Oh my god! Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, well, my my youngest son more than my old. I mean, they both play, and it's it's actually so. I mean, both my boys are teenagers now, so um, different dynamic than probably when I've talked about them in the past. <laughs> right. Um, they don't play many games together, but Fortnite is actually so they're they're eighteen months apart. So my oldest is fourteen, and my youngest is just thirteen. Um, Fortnite is the only game where I've ever seen. My oldest and one of his friends squad up with my youngest and one of his friends. Oh, like that's it's cool. a, it's it's a sort of it's it's a bridge game in that yeah. way. Um, and every now and then they even let me play with them too, even though <laughs> I suck. That's it. Seems like right um, now Fortnite is that for that age group. Like there isn't anyone not playing that game. It just feels like that's what a fourteen, fifteen year old kid does is play Fortnite. And it's kid. It's not a boy, which I love about it. In the, you know, they have friends that are girls that are, you know, posting pics on Snapchat and Instagram of them playing Fortnite as much as the boys are, which yeah. I think is, is, is they, I think, uh, you know, there, I, I noticed at E3 there were some people bitching and whining about Fortnite, but I think Fortnite has achieved the thing within video games that I can remember when I, when I was younger, I, I refused to listen to music that was super popular just on principle. Right. Like any, anything that was sort of like, you know, top of the charts, I would just not like it because it was popular. Right. And I think, I think Fortnite is experiencing that same phenomenon. And there are people that say it sucks just because they are sick of, you know, they, they feel like, oh, everyone's talking about it. But right. I think it is probably the 
single most powerful thing that's ever happened to video games. Like, it's a genuine, full-on, everybody pop culture moment. Yeah. And it, I think, I think we'll look back on it and be like, we were, I was there. You know? Yeah. It, <laughs> when, it, it was, it's was this generation's Pac-Man. wasn't a thing and then when it was a thing. Yeah. No, totally. And I totally underestimated it. I, I mean, I think it's Pac-Man for this generation. It, it's, I mean, that's a dated reference, obviously, but I, I think even Minecraft, I think skewed to a very specific age range that. Yeah. Uh, Fortnite transcends. You know, Fortnite has the age that played uh, that played Minecraft, and also has older kids and adults, and you know, like you said, sports stars. You know, it's it is uh, it's something we've never really quite seen before, and it's, it's amazing. And they're to watch still it. revving it up. You know, you've got the you know, there's clearly a narrative evolving that they're getting better at at communicating. They haven't spun up the Fortnite World Cup properly yet. Right. The Pro-Am event they did during E3 got spectacular numbers and it was genuinely entertaining to watch. Um, I think they've, you know, I mean, now it's by design, but I think when it first, when it, when Battle Royale first shipped, they accidentally stumbled into something amazing. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Every time I accidentally stumble into anything, it's dog poop. <laughs> <laughs> Well, amazing in its own way, Christian. Uh, speaking of amazing in its own way, what's on your playlist? Have I talked about Onrush on this show, Jeff? You have. I I've talk- you have. I have? A little is bit. Is this thing by the guys that made Motorstorm? It is. And I keep, because it came out around E3, I know I talked about it with Jeff in person, and I know I talked about it on ALTMM. Um, I'll just touch it real quick again right here then because I guess I've already talked about it. No, but, I'm not trying but, to say don't talk about it. I, I just think you have mentioned it. No, I want to know because I love Motorstorm and I want to know if I should I should buy it. It's really cool in that it's uh, not a racing game, but it has all the trappings of one. Maybe I have talked about it on here. <clears throat> but it's like a hero shooter in in a racing game in the way that they've – reimagined what you can do in a in a game that it, it encourages you to go fast and live dangerously and it has all the trappings of a racing game and you sit down and you think you're playing a racing game and very smartly right at the beginning uh, a screen pops up and it says like this is not a racing game there is no finish there is no start and you're like yeah okay let me race and it's like you are not racing um <clears throat> and it clearly has that motor storm um heritage behind it in terms of the destruction and the jumps and landing in mud. And uh, I found it, it gets hard <laughs> or I get not as good as it kind of progresses. It, the difficulty has ramped up significantly for me. Um, but yeah, I, I am remembering having talked about it. I just forgot if it disappeared in this E3 black hole, but John, if you love mortar storm, um, I think, I think you could find a lot to like and on rush. I don't know if it will have the online legs, um, that I think the game works best in, whereas you can get AI to round out your squad or whatever, but the times I've been able to play with friends, it's, like any game, significantly more fun when you're relying on AI. Is it like Motorstorm in that it's all, you know, things with sort of big bouncy suspension and motorcycles and quad bikes and stuff? Or is yep. it, what, what it, that's yep. the kind of thing it is? Yeah, you're driving off-road, um, you know, some path, dirt path, but yeah, jumps, uh, a lot of hit when you land on the ground, slopping around motorcycles, buggies, um, you know, modded out muscle cars and stuff like that. Very similar. And is it doing so? I mean, the there were th- how many motorstorms were there in the end? There were three, right? Um, yeah. And the Plus third the Vita one, one did some of the same stuff that uh, it, it had some stuff in common with. Uh, oh, geez, what was it called? What was the Disney racer? Split second. 
mm-hmm. where the where the terrain would deform from sort of lap to lap or whatever. Is is this doing that kind of thing as well? No, because you're not really doing laps. <laughs> it's like, I mean, you are, but there's not a ton of ton of that where it's more you're chaining takedowns and trying to trigger specific events and use your powers to achieve an obje- achieve an objective. Holy moly, there it is. Um, as you're racing, so it's not the same thing where you come through it the second time and the warehouse is blown up now or whatever. But uh, it's it's really fun. I'd give it a look. I think you know if you have a a weekend when you're not playing BattleTech, <laughs> it's 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 worth firing. When you're thinking about what game to play, I'll text you and say, hey, give on rush a try. It's fun. Cool, is man. It, um, is it kind of like cruising around burnout without triggering an event? No, you're stuck on a loop. Um, it almost feels like a, it's like a, a varied treadmill. Like it doesn't feel like you're, you're not doing a bunch of sharp turns or whatever. Um, there are courses, but there's just not a starter into it. But you're kind of you'll start seeing the same areas again as you're trying to trying to do these power ups. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting. It's I, I hope people keep making this kind of game because I like seeing the racing genre evolve. I think what Forza Horizon Four is bringing to it with Seasons is going to be interesting, and what Onrush did making a a racing game that's not a racer, I think, is is fascinating as well. It's 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 really really interesting. I, I would love to. Maybe I should just uh, come over to your house and try it because I, you know, I, I keep looking for that thing that gets me into cars. <laughs> I like racing games. I just don't like racing. Uh, but I, you it know, that's why it. I like Burnout. You know, so yeah, um, yeah. Uh, what do you think about the wars that America started and never won or kind of officially ended and, and left. And what do you think about super, super into them, super into those kinds of wars. What do you think about season passes? Uh, yeah, man, do it up. Okay. Pass that season. Well, I've got something for you then. It is called far cry hours of darkness. Oh, is it the first DLC for the far cry season pass? It is far cry four, far cry five, five. I mean, whatever one we're on. (laughs) <laughs> the game you love so much. Doesn't matter. I, <laughs> it does matter. So I enjoyed Far Cry Five. Far Cry Hours of Darkness is the first expansion, um, story expansion for Far Cry Five. My memory was that you got a lot of. There's a lot, you, lot that you didn't like about Far Cry Five. I like the game. I don't like the narrative trappings. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Go and ahead. So Hours of Darkness is a much more focused game in that regard where you are um, a person from Hope County. So that's how it ties into Far Cry 5. But you're telling this story, the narrative trapping is you're telling the story of how you escaped. Your helicopter was shot down in Vietnam and how you escaped. And then it does, you know, you flash back and you start playing it and your helicopter gets shot down. And there you are in this brand new map um, out in the jungle and you need to get to your evac point. And I have read you can kind of just do that. You can just head to the evac point and it'll maybe take you an hour, you know, after the first tutorial mission or whatever it is that you need to do. And you can kind of just go to the evac point, killing and avoiding stuff as you get there. But like classic Far Cry, it starts to open up and it gives you incentives to go do other things. Your other squad mates have also been downed and captured. So as you go, um, you'll, as you play and explore the map, you'll get gain intel and you'll find out where they're located and you can go and rescue them and then they can join your squad much like far cry 5 where you'll have someone on your team um you'll also learn about um there are anti-aircraft gun embankment set up and so you can go and take those out when you take those out then you'll be able to call in airstrikes to an area and it's similar to far cry 5 in that 
you learn of these new objectives and missions by exploring the map. You don't talk to people, but you'll discover intel in a bunker and it will tell you something or you'll clear a base and take down a commander and you'll get their intel and it'll open things up. And so the way the map kind of opens and you see all these side missions that you can do, all these distractions between you and your extraction point are really, really interesting. It's really cool um, how the game kind of unfolds. What I like about it is that it is short. <laughs> it's not like Far Cry 5, you know, it's such a big game. And this is kind of like Blood Dragon before it, where it's all the Far, uh, not all, but a lot of the Far Cry experience in a four hour package. So you can go and take down enemy bases. You can play stealthily. You can go in Rambo style. And this is very, I mean, it's, it's Rambo, right? Um, and blow things up and chain an explosive barrel to, um, munitions depots that are stored here and, you know, wreck your way through the jungle. And then you get all that fun stuff and then you get to move on. And the, the narrative hook is just, you're here, get out. And I like that streamlined version of storytelling. Um, the other interesting thing it does is that you have these perks that you unlock when you perform stealth takedowns. And so as you, if you do one, uh, I forget the exact order it goes in, but if you, uh, I'm making this up, but some version of like, if you get one stealth takedown, you then move a little faster. If you get two, then your companion will spot people for you. If you do three, then you can spot people through walls. If you do four, you don't take fall damage. And as long as you're never, um, seen or you blow your stealth chain, you keep these perks possibly for the whole game. But once you just go like guns, real Vietnam, right? Just like real Vietnam. Yeah. Very, very. Authentic to the experience, yeah. I'm sure. Uh, but if you get discovered or you're too loud or explosive, you, you lose them. But then as soon as you get your first stealth, stealth kill back, you start them again. And it's a really interesting way, I think, to incentivize the stealth mechanic that Far Cry has always had in a setting where it kind of makes sense as you as this initially lone survival, try, survivor trying to make their way through the jungle. The, my only hang up with the game, and this is, this is me. Um, your your sidekicks, uh, mine have been um, very foul mouthed, and I, I'm sure it's probably how you felt. It is it's, it's a war where people lost their lives, um, but sometimes it's just yeah, expletive. You're gonna die, and you're gonna like it. I'm just kind of like it's weird, right? Like I'm a, it's kind of the problem that some people had with the Last of Us Two trailer presentation, where it's like this weird disconnect which like i know what i'm doing in this game i'm running around the jungle of a pretend vietnam killing these enemy soldiers and being okay with it and that's this mindless entertainment for me but then when my npc companion starts yelling at them and degrading them and then murdering them and saying yeah you like that i'm like oh you're making me think about what i'm doing i don't think i do like that and that's just me wrestling with the world and, and my place in it but that is a thing in this game, so players beware. It seems to be a problem Ubisoft has a lot, particularly with its more contemporary games. Like Ghost Recon was the same. The dialogue in Ghost Recon was terrible. What do you, you mean, know, dart nuts? Yeah, well, right. I mean, it was all like, <laughs> yeah. And it was sort of, it, it just felt like, like someone was just like, you know, writing down, you know, they had this matrix of, of words and then they were just like putting two together and that was the next line of dialogue. And they're just, they're just not very good at, they, they can set these fantastic scenarios up and these wonderful chains of events in the sort of systems of the game. But then, the, but then the, the characters, the way they talk 
the sort of ambient talk is always really bad. The, the sort of scripted stuff that's between missions tends to be of a higher caliber, but it's mm-hmm. like they always seem at a loss with, with how to fill the game. Like they know that they're, you know, you're surrounded by people, so they need to be talking, but oh my God, what do they say? <laughs> yeah. What a, how do human <laughs> beings talk to each other? We don't know. We'll just have them say this. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I don't disagree. Um, I think Assassin's Creed Odyssey handled it better um than a lot of the games but yes uh ghost recon far cry 5 in general and now this game and this game i struggle with it it's my own baggage that i'm that i'm bringing into i mean i imagine that people said things very similar if not far worse vietnam was not a kind war um so there it makes a little more sense than far cry 5 to me but again my own personal baggage and, and wrestling with gaming in, in 2018 it, it's something that struck me the same way Rainbow Six, I don't mean this to be another Ubisoft game, but Rainbow Six Siege struck me in the week I happened to be playing it after a horrific mass murder in the United States. It's just getting older and I guess taking that with me into games, into my uh, escape for as God of War. I didn't take any of that into it because the fantasy setting or this, that, and the other, I was able to rip a werewolf's mouth, you know, clean backward and, and be like, fun. Uh, it's interesting. It's something that, that I'm wrestling with. Again, that's Far Cry Hours of Darkness, the DLC. Um, my playlist has something on it that, uh, well, I, let's just be honest. I played a lot of Switch this week. Uh, I, I, I dusted off my Switch, dove into my Switch, played a lot of Switch. And uh, I downloaded, because Christian would not stop raving about it, uh, Yoku's Island Express, which you used uh, the M word to describe, Christian, uh, that being Masterpiece. Uh, and so Metroidvania, I, I think is also what I said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Different M word, but, uh, that wasn't the one that got me to do it. <laughs> uh, I think what 20 bucks that game is uh, yep. Yoku's Island Express on switch. Uh, also on steam and I think other places, but yeah. really feels like a switch game really feels mm-hmm. like it's at home there. I can't imagine playing it on PC because having those bumpers on your, on your triggers, uh, if you haven't heard, us talk about it before. Christian mentioned it several times now. Yoku's Island Express is a Metroidvania, a 2D side-scrolling platformer universe where you play a little, I don't know, what kind of bug is it? It's a bug. A dung beetle. Dung beetle. Yeah, you know, another game where you play a dung beetle. Um, uh, but this dung I bring beetle... I my own baggage into that, too. Uh, the, <laughs> yeah. The dung beetle conflict of 2007. Uh, this dung beetle has himself a, a pearl uh, that he found in the ocean. And he's constantly rolling it around. And that pearl, uh, in the course of doing this platforming with the dung beetle, dung beetle unable to jump, by the way. This is a platformer where you cannot jump. Go figure. Uh, but good news is uh, this universe uh, chock full of little paddles and things that move. And you find yourself in these sort of pseudo pinball moments uh, with the pearl uh, being flicked and flopped around the uh, the environment, propelled through the environment by you uh, toggling the the paddles, uh, and the poor little dung beetle holding on for dear life as that's happening. So it's a combination Metroidvania and pinball game, which doesn't sound like it should work, but my goodness, is this game really beautifully designed, so smart, such a great novel concept that works really, really well. I echo a lot of what Christian said. Uh, previously, I, I find it to be really fun. It kind of, I don't know if you mentioned this. I don't remember if you mentioned this, Christian, but it kind of, uh, brings me back to playing the first Sonic the Hedgehog, you know? Yes. Uh, where yes, you kind of, best levels. Yeah. You kind of get that cool moment of like getting the perfect fling with the paddle on the ball and it's like zipping through the environment, going really fast and collecting 
what would be rings in Sonic's case, but here it's uh, little bits of fruit, little collectibles that the game uh, values. And uh, you collect them super fast and you're bouncing around. It's, it's very satisfying. That is very, very satisfying. In fact, my only criticism with the game is that it's a Metroidvania. <laughs> um, I like Metroidvanias, but I do, I actually wish it was a little more like Sonic in the sense that I would prefer to just always be moving forward in this game. I, I, I found the backtracking in this particular version of that, uh, you know, adding in the pinball and the traversal this way, backtracking just didn't feel fun to me. It didn't hmm. feel, um, and I, I have not finished the game, uh, but I put several hours into it, and it just felt like I would get myself into a, uh, you know, I'd, I'd go back and try to do a thing, and then I'd realize well, where I need to be is way far forward, and just the idea of going all the way through stuff I've already done to get back to where I was to go the correct place just felt really tedious and and longer than it would if I was just platforming or, you know, had a cool dash or whatever, you know, it's because I had to like land on the right flipper and get the right physics to do the right flipper. And it's like, Oh, just, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back. I think that's a problem in a lot of, uh, of these games. It's how enjoyable do they make the traversal and the backtracking? I enjoy, I think pinball perhaps more than you do, or, or have played more video game pinball than you, but also this game, um, it, you might be close to doing it. You unlock it, its version of fast travel at a time when you're ready to have it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> maybe like, I should. fun, but. Clearly haven't gotten there yet. Oh, that's good to know. Maybe I'll, well, then I'll definitely uh, keep plugging away. Um, but I, I like it so much. It's really beautiful. The art style is is really evocative and, and, and lush. It's got a fun, whimsical world. You know, you're like delivering mail for some reason. You know, that's, it's just, it's got a lot of really novel concepts it doesn't take itself too seriously and it, it it it's really i think a game that should not be overlooked uh yoku's island express i think has a terrible title i think i think it's probably being held back by its title um and that's a shame but it because it doesn't jump out it doesn't say it doesn't express what the game is you know um and it could i think more people would really enjoy it than have played it it's uh the characterization i think part of the reason why it works so well um, some of the team, I know at least some of the team is OG Lucas Arts, so mm. that's kind of where that stuff can, you know, the pedigree for that comes from, I think. Yeah. I've also been. Oh, go ahead. Go on. I was going to ask you if you played anything. Else. I have a switch question for you oh. guys, but you may be about to talk about it. So, well, I was about to bring up uh, Mario Tennis Aces. Is that what your question? Okay, was? that's what I was going to ask you because I, I nearly bought it today. Um, but part of my back of my brain said sixty bucks for a tennis game seems Dude, like an awful lot. I had a huge, huge speed bump in, in there too. I was like, ah, do I want to spend? Because Christian and I played this at E3 and we had a blast. And I came away from it going like, I, I didn't. It wasn't on my radar as something I wanted to buy. And and then I got home and I was like, I want, I want that now. And but then I also was like, eh, I don't. Am I going to really play? I don't. So I bought it. I got all excited. I bought it. And uh, so I've been playing the narrative bits, which, of course, we did not play at E3. only played the um, the versus mode. But the versus mode is fantastic. And as Christian and I mentioned uh, last week or the week before, it, it plays like um, like a fighting game. It really is – it's not – 
it, it, it's about as much tennis as uh, you know, like Rocket League is driving. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> it, it's it's uh, it's ostensibly tennis. It like loosely follows the rules of tennis, but the way you win is more doing wildly fantastic, cool things and using special moves and all that stuff. And to, I think that's to the game's benefit. Like it, it's a really cool. Uh, the systems are super well designed, but I didn't have any experience playing the story mode. And that's kind of this new addition to this Mario tennis franchise. I understand is that it's got this lengthy story mode and I jumped into the story mode. The first thing you do is you play tennis against a, a dude. And, uh, I, you know, won the game without the other guy scoring a single point. And I thought, Oh no, this is going to be, this is how this is going to be. Like this is this story mode, quote unquote, is it, this game is going to be all about find another human being to play against because there's not going to be any challenge to the story mode. It's going to be Yonsville. Boy, was I wrong. Boy, was I wrong about Mario Tennis Aces. This game's hard, guys. It is difficult. And uh, I say that with the usual caveats of, if you're not finding it difficult, you're a better gamer than me. No need to gloat. Um, it, I have con- talked to several other people that have been playing it. Everybody that I've talked to has agreed. It's challenging. And it's challenging right away. That first uh, that first fight, or fight, I call them a fight, but the first tennis match, uh, it lulls you into a sense of, of security. But then you quickly get into these challenges, which are challenging. And they label a lot of the early ones as beginner challenges. And I failed them many times. I failed them many times. Um, and so I'm conflicted on how I feel. I, I think the game is amazing. I really like it. I'm compelled to play it. I stick with it. Uh, I find it very frustrating and unnecessarily frustrating and frustrating for reasons that I bristle at with across all video games when they do it this way. Mostly it's because there's a giant ticking clock in the challenges. And if I could just had like 10 more seconds, I would be able to do this challenge. It's not a lack of knowing what to do or getting or, or doing it. It's literally like, I just ran out of time, I just ran out of time to do it. And that is very frustrating, especially because Nintendo and their infinite wisdom has decided that every time you fail and I fail a lot and I predict a lot of people will fail a lot. Every time you fail, you have to go through a little cutscene that uh, where your dudes are lamenting the fact that they failed and they're, the words are appearing once letter at a time and you have to tap through all the little dialogue where they're like, Oh, we didn't do it. Oh, I know that's too bad. We, we will maybe next time. Yeah, Mario. Okay. Start again. Okay, Mario, we're going to do it this time. Yeah, let's do it. Click, 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 talk, talk, shut up. Just let me jump back in. And Why is there no retry? Why is there no instant retry button? If there, if you're making a challenge that is hard, I need a button as soon as I fail it that just retry. Don't make me reload and do all the – go through the cutscene. Anyway, I'm very frustrated by that. Everything needs that N plus Meat Boy yes. Celeste that when you're back in it. But yeah. even if even if you need a lo- you know even if your game requires a bit of a load, I mean those games are even more elegant because you're just instantly back. But even if you need a yeah, load, even Uncharted, the last Uncharted had almost instant back into the play. Right. Like, but even really even no if you need thing. need a load, don't make me watch a dialogue scene. That's just that is just 
infuriating. And it, 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 it I, I think it, hey Jeff. Yeah. I'm sorry you had to, I'm sorry you had to do that. Yeah. Maybe next time. Oh. You won't have to do that. <laughs> You're doing that, it right that's now. A good point. Uh, I think next time. Yeah. You won't have to do that. <laughs> yeah. What would we pay Skip. right now? To not have to... Skip, Christian. <laughs> anyway, so um, – and okay, the other thing is there are these like boss fights and they're really cool. Like, you're, you're, it's a weird world, right? It's a it's this Mario world with an over map and you're going to different nodes. I mean it's very classic Mario, like you know, Super Mario World or any of – you know, Super Mario Bros. 2 uh, where you're like going to a, the next area and you're deciding which – dungeon to take on or whatever except in this world every time you start a dungeon people are like hey you want to play tennis <laughs> you know <laughs> and which is kind of fun like I, I dig that the game is like it, we're a full-on mario world type of game where there's different dungeons and monsters and and uh boss fights and all this stuff but literally everything is through the lens of of tennis and there's a full role-playing game system like you're leveling up you're, you're increasing stats. You get new tennis rackets that have different kind of bonuses. I mean, the systems are cool. But a, a lot of the boss fights are impossible to, to do the first time because you're just figuring out what the trick is here. What's the gimmick that I need to figure out? Which would be fine if there wasn't a timer ticking down. So by the time you figure out what you even need to do, you're like, oh, well, this run through is borked i'm not going to be able to get it in time like oh oh i have to hit him in the eye and then hit him in the knee and not only that there's only one special move that you have where you actually get to aim exactly where the ball is going to be it's like any other tennis game where you can generally say hit it to the right or hit it to the left or hit it straight or you know what kind of shot you're doing but there's only one super special move that you get to do where you like a little target comes up and you shoot it at that target. So for most of the fights, which require pinpoint accuracy of your tennis ball, you're just hoping. You're just hoping. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, tick tock, tick tock, that clock is ticking down. So if you got unlucky and your ball didn't hit the, the crazy uh, boss targeting thing that is moving wildly around the screen you know you need to hit it and you're trying you're volleying the ball back and <laughs> forth just trying to hit that stupid thing to trigger the moment where you can actually use the target so a lot of it is very frustrating in that sense but i really still like the game a lot i mean these all of these mario games on the switch have such a beautiful aesthetic they've got this claymation aria uh, mario world look down so well and everything looks great and bright and colorful and the, there's all kinds of wacky tennis courts i mean you're on a ship you're you know you're in a castle you're there's plants that'll eat your ball it's all kinds of craziness and i and the and the central game you know it's easy i think to look at something like this and go oh if you slap mario on it and put it in the context of mario it immediately becomes a thing but there are a lot of really carefully considered design decisions that went into making this tennis thing work. And it, it really does. It's super fun, but just a, a few tweaks to grind down those frustration edges would be so much appreciated. But so it, it's, it's a very aggravating experience playing it, but one I'm actually enjoying despite that. 
I look forward to some uh, multiplayer. I think I should be getting my copy hopefully tomorrow. Yeah, I haven't attempted any online play at all. I've just been playing the single-player story mode, so I don't know how well that is implemented, and I will report back on that as as we try. I I would like to play with you. Now now that I got some skills to pay the bills, Christian, I I think our matches will go much, much differently. Sounds good. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Uh, Mario Tennis Aces on Switch. All right, guys, uh, let's take a little break now and thank our next sponsor, which is Blue Apron. Blue Apron. I love it when Blue Apron sponsors the show because Blue Apron straight up changed my life, improved it immensely. I'm a cook now. I'm a guy that likes cooking. I didn't like cooking before, and it's all because of Blue Apron. Blue Apron took away all of the things that got in the way of me cooking, like picking out something delicious to make. I was always overwhelmed by the number of recipes I would find online. And even when I found a recipe I wanted, getting to the grocery store and then buying all of the ingredients I would need, and then ending up with a bunch of extra of those ingredients that invariably went bad in my fridge before I got a chance to use them. All of those pain points, Blue Apron removes And all of those pain points prevented me from cooking. And now I've realized I love cooking. I love it because Blue Apron makes it so easy. And you know, something I never mention, and I should more when we talk about Blue Apron on the show, their step-by-step instructions are so well-written. These are recipes that are delicious. They're a lot of variety. There's, There's really, I think, restaurant quality, delicious food that my wife and I both love. But the, the, the step-by-step instructions are better than most that I find in cookbooks. They tell you how to do things. They have pictures, which is super key for all the steps. And they tell you how to do things concurrently so your entire meal gets done at the same time. So they're, they're saying, you know, while the thing is in the oven, do this. You know, while your chicken is cooking, throw together the salad, whatever it is. It's, so well done, so well thought through. And Blue Apron has a variety of plans. They have a two-person meal plan, which is the one my wife and I do. Serves two people. You choose from eight recipes per week. And uh, you can receive either two or three recipes in your week. They also have a family meal pl- plan that serves four people, which I assume my wife and I will eventually move up to when our kids get old enough. And they also have the wine plan which gets you six bottles of wine from renowned winemakers delivered monthly. And those are paired with a lot of the recipes they have. So lots of cool stuff that is offered through Blue Apron. You get your convenience and variety. You get you eat better. I eat better with Blue Apron than I ever did uh, trying to cook for myself because I would just make the same four things over and over again. It's highly flexible. You can pause and resume. You can select the meals that you want. Super high quality. It's Great. And let me help you out. If you check out this week's menu and you like what you see, I'll give you your first three meals free if you go to blueapron.com slash DLC. That's blueapron.com slash DLC to get your first three meals free. Check it out. It's going to change your life like it changed mine. It's this delicious food. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. All right, guys, let's wrap the show up. We know how we do have our a parting gift coming up, so stick around for that. But John Davison, thank you so much for being here. It's so great to talk to you again on the show. My pleasure. Hey, um, are we doing board games of any kind? Uh, we can. I, I know that you need to get out of here fairly soon, so I was kind of cutting it short. But I know, if well, you, I have, well, I have one that I wanted to mention. Well, let's uh, do it. It's a goofy one. 
Let's can we it's can, can we before you do it though can we can we play the little song? Oh, you have a little song. Do the yeah. little song. Okay. Right now, right now. I like I like the little songs. Uh, you know. <laughs> All right. Well, what what uh, what board game do you want to talk about? So this is actually by the guys over at Rooster Teeth. I don't, I'm sure you're yeah, familiar with sure. their work. Yeah. It's called Million Dollars Butt. <laughs> B u t t. I assume. No, 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 no. No, just Million Dollars Comma Butt. Oh, okay. So the idea is, it's it's the format is sort of similar to. An apples to apples, cards against humanity type thing. But the idea is that you have a card that says million dollars, but, and then a scenario. And then you're dealt cards with uh, things that you would have to do in order to meet that criteria. And, uh, and, then, and then someone is the judge. And, and that's how it plays out. So I'm going to do one with you right now. I'm just going to, I have the box in front of me. I'm going to draw a card oh, random. I love this. I love this. All right. Here we go. Hang on. One card coming up. All right. Million dollars, but whenever you see a shooting star. So if we were all playing together, we'd all have a hand of cards and we would uh, and we would each play one. So there's three of us. I'm going to draw three cards at random out of the box just so you can get a taste of what would happen. So million dollars, but whenever you see a shooting star, number one, you disappear from a photo taken in the past. <laughs> or Dragons become real and they fucking hate you. <laughs> or a documentary crew will follow you nonstop for 48 hours. Oh. I don't want dragons to hate me. Uh, I mean, I love that they're real, but I don't want them to hate me. Uh, I, 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 I think I would, I would have to pick the uh, – I disappear from a photo. That's amazing. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's so fun. fun. And it's, it's not as uh, – Sort of egregiously nasty as some of the Cards Against Humanity. Uh, right. I, I like it. Like, it's a game that I can play with my teenage boys without uh, me and their mother looking embarrassed at each other at right. the time, like some of these <laughs> games do. Um, and uh, it's cool that the Rooster Teeth guys are sort of, you know, branching out into other stuff as well. I think it's very cool. I like that. Million dollars, but uh, Christian, what would you have chosen in that? Forty-eight hour documentary crew, and I would sit there and play million dollars, but for forty-eight hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on on your million dollars, but um, yeah, exactly. That's great. Million dollars, but cool. Um, I mean, if we're in tabletop time, I might as well talk about the fact that I played another Escape the Room. I've, I've talked about Exit, uh, those escape rooms in a box. And I've played several of the exit games, but I finally played Escape the Room. Um, and which one is it? Is it here? Uh, I can't, it's not Definitely in the box, but he's not allowed to leave the room to get it. Ah, I can't <laughs> escape the room. It's like uh, Doctor Somebody's something or other. Um, maybe I can look it up while I'm talking. Um, this is, I think it's much different than the the uh, exit games in the sense that it had... Um, it had more physical stuff to do. So the idea is it's an escape room, a fictional escape room in the sense that it's like, it's telling you this fiction that you've, uh, you know, you have to sort of imagine it rather than cool escape rooms that you go to in real places where you're actually in a room and there's physical objects. This isn't a box. So you can take it anywhere and it'll say, Oh, you know, you arrived at a cabin in the woods or whatever. This one that I did uh, for escape the room, it was a, um, a weird doctor's lair that you end up at. 
and um, you sort of read the description of what you see in front of you, and then you've got these these uh, envelopes that you pull out of the box, and you un- open an envelope, and then you have to do a certain thing and solve a puzzle in order to unlock the next envelope, and so on and so on. And the way you determine whether or not you've come to the correct conclusion and correctly solve the puzzle is there's this cool wheel like an old almost like old copy protection back in the day on you know in pc games where they had those old coder ring wheels it's like that and you'll match uh, a series of symbols uh in the puzzle and if you match the sim- the symbol it'll give you a little readout in the hole on the decoder car uh, ring thing and if that one is correct then you get to open the envelope so it's a cool system that makes it so that you don't have to like look at the answer to find out if you got the answer right, right? The worst thing you would want to do is go, oh, I think it's that. And then you open the book and you're like, oh, no, it isn't, but I just read what it is, right? <laughs> so they've come up with an elegant solution for that, which is cool. But also in these in these envelopes, you open and you pull out images and little bits and things and things cut out in certain strange shapes. And you're not really sure anything, you're, what you're looking at, and it doesn't give you a lot of instruction. It just sort of says, this is what you see, go. And I like that about it. it. It does feel like a real escape room in the sense that it's got, you know, it, it's it just plopping you in there and and figure it out. And there were the one that I did. There were um, three different moments where you got one of those physical puzzles where you had like a rope and a key, and you had to get a thing through another thing but it didn't quite fit and you were physically manipulating it and trying to get it to move through the hole. So it wasn't just, you know, um, it wasn't the kind of thing you usually get with an escape room in the box where it's just a mental exercise. This was actually a physical dexterity exercise, which I thought was a really cool twist because you tend not to see that in these, you know, home versions. Um, and the, and the envelopes sometimes would reveal envelopes inside them that you didn't anticipate it's great. I mean, there the, there's a really cool system also online where uh, you can go to their website and they give you little hints if you're stuck on certain puzzles where they don't give it away. They just kind of give you a nudge in the right direction, which we had had to use a couple of times. Um, I love these things, and I highly recommend them. If you've never done an escape room, this is a good starter version. Or if you love escape rooms but you find them expensive or inconvenient to get a group together to go to do them, uh, there's a lot of these ones, escape rooms in the box, Um that you can do a uh, Dr. Gravely. That's what it's called. Uh, Dr. Gray. This, uh, the secret of Dr. Gravely's retreat is the one I did escape the room secret of Dr. Gravely's retreat. Uh, it actually told a really interesting story and uh, was, was very fun. A uh, question for you, Jeff. Yes, sir. Hates timers in video games, loves escape rooms. Aren't escape rooms <laughs> just timers in video games? Oh, I would much prefer being in an escape room with no timer. Yeah. I mean, the only reason they have timers in escape rooms is so that you're not there all day because they got to schedule people behind you. <laughs> so when you play the, the home versions, you don't run the clock? Well, the way these ones tend to work is they give you a target uh, time to get it in. And they'll say, like, if you don't do it, you fail. But there's n- nobody forcing you to stop. If you're still having fun, uh, you know, we, we like go, oh, well, we didn't hit the target time. So we're not as smart as other people but it also like you know if we're having fun and we've gone over two hours or whatever it is why not keep going there's no but that ants that timer like antsiness doesn't get to it doesn't no. like uh, take away the fun from it at all because it's self-imposed so i i don't okay. care okay. you know it's not 
It, it bums me out. Like the escape rooms that I've, the physical escape rooms that I visited, it bums me out when we didn't finish and they're like, oh, got to leave. Time's over. It's like, no, I was having fun. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I hate times. I hate time just in general. Speaking of which, it's time to end the show. Hey. Oh, segue. Um, John Davison, thank you so much for being here. It's always fun to talk to you. My pleasure. Uh, tell people where they can keep up with you online. Uh, I am JWH Davison, that's D-A-V-I-S-O-N, on just about everything, I think. Mainly Twitter, though. Mm-hmm. I, I took some time away from Twitter, but I'm sort of back. I'm not really sure why. Yeah. Uh, but that, se- that seems to be the, that, yeah, that's sort of where I'm kind of like, you know, anything that I'm doing will probably end up there first. Very, very cool. Uh, Christian Spicer, what do you got going on this week? Uh, also on Twitter at Spicer. And um, I'm trying to think. I'm doing this show. Oh, my goodness. What is it called? It is Saturday. It was originally early. Now it's late, not till 11 p.m. It's called a cutscene. It's at the Pack Theater in Los Angeles. And um, it's kind of conceived as Saturday Night Live-esque stuff, but all about the video games, like a video game slant to it. So I'm kind of the guest host, the celebrity host, uh, the guest host for the show. Uh, it should be fun. I'm excited. I'm going to be going to, going through the sketches and stuff Wednesday night to, to do a run and a read and Is stuff like that. That is videoed in any way. I don't think so. I don't know. I've never done it. Uh, I, I don't, I'll, I'll know on Saturday <laughs> or I'll know on Wednesday. Oh. <laughs> I'll know on Wednesday, but it's Saturday in LA at 11 PM. And then uh, these T-shirts, man, Cotton Bureau. Go check it out. It is – you'll see it. I don't exactly know what it's going to be called. I'll have a link to it on my Twitter. But it looks like kind of a, a popsicle version of a Super NES controller melting with a bite out of it. And after we sell what – I think it's 12 to recoup the costs for setting the screen, the screen printing and stuff like that, all proceeds will go to St. Jude. And it's a high-quality, nice shirt, screen-printed shirt. Um, cottonbureau.com or on my Twitter or website, christianspicer.com to find the link. You should have come up with a clever name for it. That way you could have told people. I, uh, I wish I had a link, but Saturday, I mean, Sunday recording versus Monday launch. There's, you know, time. Can I, can I suggest a clever name that just occurred to me? Yes. Summer games done lick. (laughs) (laughs) Also summer games done quick is going. (laughs) Is there a, is there a limit on the number of these? So you got to sell 12 to recoup the cost. Are you, is there a cap on the number that you're going to do? No, I don't, I don't think there's a cap. I'm running, Cotton Bureau, uh, a bunch of people have had good success with them and they handle all of that stuff, which is a, a nice way oh, to so do it. So they just but... make them to order? Yep. Yep. Great. So let's do it. Let's sell a whole bunch. See, because it's a popsicle. And that's why we you get it. And you lick. Okay. <laughs> we feel get, like we nobody, totally get it. I feel like nobody was excited about my suggestion. All right. No, no, it was so clever. We uh, were dumbfounded by it. Uh, by you know, magnificence. that happens to me a lot. That happens to me a lot. Um, uh, well, you can follow me on Twitter for more stuff like that. Uh, at Jeff Kanata, uh, spell the two N's and one T, of course. And I've got the Slash Filmcast. Why don't you check that out as well? Talking about movies and TV shows. This week we're going to be talking about Jurassic World Forgotten Kingdom. We watched it, so you don't have to. Check that over at uh, SlashFilmcast.com. All right, guys, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift. John, you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? 
I do, and uh, I can't remember if I, I. It's entirely possible that I've suggested this before. I think I know I've talked to the two of you about this show before, but I can't remember if it was on air or just in person. But I'm, so here it is. So there's a show on Netflix that Netflix have actually acquired now. Um, it's called Travelers. Mm. And it's uh, it's one of those Netflix originals that they don't promote particularly aggressively, but it's awesome. It's it's a sci-fi show, uh, but one which I don't think has any actual special effects. All of the huh. the sort of sci-fi ness of it is is in the delivery from the characters. So it, the idea is that in the distant future, something terrible has happened uh, to Earth. And the way that they that, that they need to come back in time and make a bunch of adjustments now uh, in order to prevent that future from happening. But the way that they do it is that uh, 10 seconds before somebody dies, they can project the consciousness of one of the people from the future into the person that is about to die and pick up their life. So the idea is that that's ethically okay because they weren't going to live any longer anyway, but they can stop their body from dying and live on as them Hmm. in order to carry out the mission. So the whole time travel visual is done purely through an actor behaving one way and then suddenly behaving another way. (laughs) It's like Quantum Leap kind of. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Um, It has Eric McCormick in it, guy Hmm. that was in Will and Grace, uh, playing a very different kind of character. Um, it's, it's, it's really smart, clever. It's actually a Canadian show. Uh, it was on CBC up in Canada and then Netflix acquired it. There's been two seasons so far. They're on Netflix. There's eight episodes in each season and it's, it's really good, smart, like almost old school sci-fi. It's (laughs) the kind of sci-fi story that you can imagine having been written in the sixties or seventies, but it's done in a very contemporary way. Awesome. Travelers on Amazon. Netflix. No, Netflix. Excuse me, Netflix. Uh, mine's on Amazon. Uh, Christian, what is your parting gift? Have I talked about Onrush yet? On, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cloak and Dagger on Freeform. Uh, the Marvel show on Freeform. Cloak and Dagger, it is great. Uh, I think they handle issues, current uh, current issues well. And also I think that it's a good take on those characters that I've liked for a very long time. I think there's five episodes right now. And um, it's 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 so far really really well done. Hopefully, people more people will check it out so it will continue. Cloak and Dagger on Freeform. I read a review that said it was possibly the best Marvel TV adaptation yet. Daredevil season one is pretty good, but uh, yeah, what this does in terms of like a youth skewing show, you know, like on Freeform, which is very much like a CW and a lot of their content, which I like. I don't have a problem with that. But it, it it handles itself very smartly. It's it's really well done. I don't even know what Freeform is. That's how out of touch I am. ABC I it Family. Used to be ABC I... Family. Oh, that makes more yeah. sense. Okay. Um. God, that that's some good branding. Freeform. <laughs> anyway, whatever. Um. This is a listener suggested uh, parting gift. This comes from Casper Peppermans. Um. He sent it to dlcfeedback at gmail dot com, where you can send your parting gifts or any questions or comments you have about the show, we welcome them at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. He says, hey guys, I just wanted to recommend a docu that you can find on YouTube. It's called Journey to the Other Side, Indian Pacific Wheel Race. 
an unsupported cycling endurance race from one side of Australia to the other side. I really recommend it to watch it if you're into cycling, but even if you're not, you should still watch it. It's about uh, the passion for your sports or hobby and the beauty of it all. Uh, and Jeff and Christian, if you can watch it yourself, please do, because I want to know what you guys think about this documentary. Greetings from Belgium. Uh, thank you, Casper. Uh, that sounds like something really interesting. Again, it's called uh, Journey to the Other Side Indian Pacific Wheel Race, and it's on YouTube. I'm also going to suggest a show for my parting gift. Uh, mine is Goliath Season 2, which is on Amazon. Uh, I loved Season 1. I think it was probably a parting gift at, at, at that point time when that came out. I loved season one. It stars Billy Bob Thornton as a sort of uh, alcoholic lawyer who used to be great and now sort of lives in this um, uh, um, dive, uh, uh, not even apartment, it's a uh, hotel room, like a motel uh, next to a bar. Um, but he takes on these crazy big cases because he used to be this hotshot lawyer. Season two is crazy. Season two was pretty uh, out there, but season two really takes it up a notch. My wife and I barreled through all eight episodes in like two days. I liked it a lot. It, it is uh, crazy. It's a little intense, but it is real good. Goliath season two on Amazon streaming. All right. That's it for this episode of DLC. Uh, thanks again to John Davison and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to all the folks in our chat rooms for hanging out with all of us. We appreciate you guys making the show better in real time. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for making those cool little songs between each segment. And thanks to you for listening. We appreciate it. We'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.